Welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Brome, and I want to welcome you to another fully packed, jam loaded, awesome, incredible episode of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh my goodness, you will not believe the lineup we have this evening. Check this out. We're doing a 12 play tonight, y'all. Can you believe what's happening in our nation right now? We have states and governors and federal at odds about how to handle this current pandemic called coronavirus. Should we stay closed? Should we open? We have states in rebellion and we have doctors talking out of turn. Uh, have y'all seen this stuff with Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, Dr. Drew? Oh man, it's got me hot and I got to have a conversation. Plus, what's happening at the border? We haven't heard much about that lately. So to help me have all of these conversations, I want to welcome back out of Washington, D.C., our good brother, Dr. Reggie Robinson, who's a cardiologist representing the education side of things. Dr. Catherine Norris returns from Delaware and representing Southern California. We have the amazing Maria Alfaro. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as Gigi De Silva Castro. She's a marriage and family therapist, as well as a school psychologist in Northern California. Oh, we got a mental health army coming in tonight. And returning also, we have the incomparable Art and Narissa Harris, married, licensed, and marriage and family therapist couple. We have Jamal Jones, social worker out of Southern California, licensed clinical social worker, Casey Phillips-Brown is here tonight. Oh my goodness, mental health therapist, Kyra Christian from Northern California, and my good brother, administrator and educational psychologist, Dr. Chase Moore. Oh my goodness, we got them coming out tonight, y'all. And how about Lori Peacock and Jeffrey Keller breaking down the latest in politics for us once again. Oh my goodness, you will not wanna miss this episode, I promise you. So you might wanna call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGthetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with Lori Peacock and Jeffrey Keller to kick off our show after this. Yeah, this is Jeff Keller from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM, and you're listening to the Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGthetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh, yeah. That changes everything, that changes everything, that changes everything I remember in church they said, boy, you better sing And now I travel the world of places I've never seen This changes everything, this changes everything, this changes everything, this changes everything I got some homies in Compton who still gang bang They always robbing and selling that methamphetamine That don't change anything, that don't change anything, that don't change anything, that don't change anything I got the melody, that's why your aunties and uncles always be playing me And I ain't moving a muscle until they pan me That changes everything, that changes everything This changes everything, this changes everything Hey yo Denzel, where you at? This changes everything, divorce to wedding ring from sober to 
amphetamines From hungry to feta cheese You give up anything That changes everything Bikes forever steam Treated like whatever thing It's a now or never thing Regarding living life Besides, we in a circle From what Lion King writes The cycle Build, destroy, erase, and revise you Cut the dreads for my rebirth Follow the primal Instinct that I instinct With no iTunes So blessed to have everything Praying the high noon It's a great day for the beach Until the typhoon hits Likely you could lose your shit See, change is a coin for the term called season Mama said people who don't change for no reason Used to be illiterate, now I'm the one reading Used to be a follower, now I'm the one leading Please change everything Okay, we're back. KCWG, thetruth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and I am still on one, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you, there are some things happening in this country that I just cannot stand to look at without having something to say about it. They have people, ladies and gentlemen, storming the Capitol in the state of Michigan, storming the beaches in Florida, just because they can't stand this sheltering in place. And why, oh, why are they doing that? Well, it just so happens that the occupant of the White House is sending mixed messages about granting governors the authority to decide their own timelines for when the economy will reopen, while at the same time, he's also telling citizens, whistleblowing to his followers, to liberate, liberate, liberate. What in the world does that mean? What message does that send? Well, to help me answer those silly questions, I have two amazing guests who are back here again. We have the amazing Lori Peacock and the inimitable good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. Lori, Jeff, what in the world is going on? Lori, what do you make of these latest antics coming out of this White House? Oh, the latest antics. It's nothing different than what we've been dealing with for the last three years, only now it's make or break life or death trust. You know, and we're really dealing with some really serious issues where people need leadership, people need guidance, and we are getting the exact opposite. We're getting the runaround, we're getting the rigmarole, we're getting rhetoric, and we're getting typical Trump BS with, you know, his, his verbiage and his talking about how wonderful he is and how tremendous everything is and how great it is. And it's just all smoke screens. And it's really frustrating. And nobody knows what to believe. Nobody knows what to think. And that's why people are acting foolish. Absolutely. I don't know that I, I, I don't condone it, but I also don't know that I blame them because how do you know what's true and how, how serious things are? Because you can't believe anything that comes out of this administration's mouth. Hmm. But his followers, his followers, that is Jeffrey Keller, they believe everything that comes out of his mouth. They, they like those contradictory messages for some reason. Jeffrey Keller, they are calling this their Rosa Parks moment, okay? Rosa Parks protested uh, segregated buses and his supporters are talking about, this is their Rosa Parks moment. That's why they're coming out with their guns and their flags and their, their billboard signs saying, we will not comply. Uh, Jeffrey Keller, is this a Rosa Parks moment? Man, if this is their Rosa Parks moment, Rosa sat on the bus, right, to protest, sitting back in the bus, and well, then they need to sit their butts at home. How about that? If they're going to be Ooh. the Rosa Parks moment. Sit well. your tail at home, okay? Mm. And so we can get over this virus instead mm. of like in Michigan, you're marching in a state has the third highest death rate from this virus. Come on. So wh why would you even go outside and protest without masks or gloves and, you know, you're standing two inches from each other? Right. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's funny to me, and they do this to piss off black people, they always want to compare a white thing to black folks' history. Mm. And, they, and they do it just to piss us off, and they know it. 
because then it, it, it throws off our focus on what really is the problem, and the problem is the liar in chief. Mm. Well, well, why you're right? Why are they doing this though? I mean, who who benefits from this this kind of chaos, Lori? Because all this is doing, and in, in addition to some other things, people still don't know who they're going to vote for in November. I mean. I don't know what else can be done when when you have an administration that is sending mixed messages as he's doing right now and signaling signaling to people to protest against governors that he granted authority <laughs> granted in finger quotes he right. publicly said that you can take your own timelines with this and yet he's telling people to protest uh who's benefiting from this lori and who stands to be harmed the most well we all stand to be harmed greatly but of course you know, obviously people who have always been harmed the most are gonna be harmed again by all of this. People of color, people that are low economics, people that are minorities. Uh, and and it's it's interesting because you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Like they oh, sorry, I totally lost the <laughs> I'm like so I'm so frustrated. I don't even know what I can't even speak right now. I'm usually me so, too. so coherent, but this is driving me this is crazy. These people are crazy. And and the thing is he says, you know, yeah, he he's not strong enough of a leader to come out and say lockdown stay in place or say no lockdown do your thing he's going to go ahead and leave it to the governor thank goodness because we have a good governor here in california so he's going to make yes, some smart decisions yes, but you know because you're going to do that but then when people you're going to tell your people to go out and protest right so again he is sending mixed signals and he is going to do a lot more harm than good and the people that are going to suffer are us and i think about this a lot the pendulum right like the pendulum constantly swings one direction or the other direction it happens a lot in a lot of different areas and it happens politically right we have our democrats and people get tired of that then they go republican then they get tired of that then they go democrat and it goes back and forth yeah. and with obama with obama everyone was saying well see see we're not racist we're not racist we not we elected a black president we are not a racist country we right. need a free pass you can never call us racist again and then they turn yep. around and they elect Trump. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like the exact opposite. Like, look how racist we are. We're going to be so darn racist and so proud. We're going to compare ourselves to Rosa Parks and the struggles of black people. These are the struggles we have. And here's my AK-47 and my Confederate flag. I'm like, these mm. people are crazy. And it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to me. Those people scare me. They wow. really do. And the fact that the president is the leader of them and he is basically saying the things he's been saying forever and ever, that there's good people, they're good people. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, who knows what's going to happen to us? And it is, it's unfortunate. And we're living in dark days and I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel unless people get off their butts and go ahead and make, and make the decision at the polls in November and they, and they do the right thing and they vote. They don't think that Biden and Trump are equal. Well, let's break that down because as we speak, um biden now has been endorsed by elizabeth warren former president barack obama as well as uh bernie sanders himself now there was a lot of discussion Lori and jeff about the the fact that there's no there's too much daylight between bernie and biden and trump meaning though biden and Bernie were running on the side of the Democrats, uh, Bernie Sanders supporters, good portion of them see no distinction between Biden and Trump. Do y'all know what they're so mad at? I mean, they're saying, here, here's, 
they, they view the Obama administration as a neoliberal failure. They say he didn't go hard enough for HBCUs. He failed to, to, to pass voting rights acts. Uh, he, did, he wasn't for reparation. He wasn't for the public option. Um, he faked drinking the water in Michigan, according to Michael Moore, when he went to test the water in Flint. So they feel for that reason, and the fact that Biden stood next to him for all those years, for two uh, terms, that Biden has no chance right now against Trump. So can y'all please speak to those issues? Because Biden is forever tied to Barack Obama, though he's you know, trying desperately to establish his own legacy as a president. Why are those people wrong to judge Joe Biden through the prism of the Obama administration as an equal and on par entity comparable to what's happening with this current administration? Jeffrey Keller, can you take that? And then I want to swing over to Lori. Uh, first, I just want to say, don't, don't forget, Trump is, you know, liberate. He's talking about the four states where they have Democratic governors. That's right. Say that. He's not, he's not doing it to Republic governor. So, so That's just remember, right. That's remember right. that. Good point. Um, you know, they, they, they're always going to bring up negatives about somebody. But they forget, even as president, you can only get passed what Congress lets you get passed, what they let that in. I mean, he wanted public option, but they wouldn't give it to him. Mm -hmm. And so, like he said, with Obamacare, this is a start. It's not the best, but as we grow as a country, we can make it better. Um, let's look okay. at things he, he, they did do. They saved the economy that Bush ran into the ground. He right. saved the automotive uh, industry and now they're at a profit and they paid back the money that they needed to. He did get a, a health care plan passed uh, for right. all. So I mean, there, are, there are some great things that he did accomplish. That's right. Uh, well, That's let's, right. Let's, let's, not, let's not look at like he didn't do anything. He did a lot of things. He, he spoke right. the last couple years uh, about what was going on with the police and black people and the shootings and the killings of, of Tamir Rice and people yes. like that. And so he did speak out on that. So to me, the things that are people are talking, you're not going to get everything. Mm -hmm. real. And you, you had a Senate and a Congress that didn't want to give him everything. Oh my God. Intractable, right? Okay. They were like, dude, first of all, uh, I forget who said it, but he, he said, well, my job is to keep Lindsey, it was not Lindsey Graham, Mr. Yeah, Mr. O'Connell said, you know, my, my job is make him a one-term president. Well, right. he's basically saying that we're not going to pass anything that he puts in, puts, brings right. in. Right. So, you know, people don't, don't look at the situation and the climate that he had to work with. That's so right. So it was brilliant for him to get past what he did get past. Exactly. But, Lori, they're still very, very unforgiving for some reason. They, yeah. they feel like because they didn't get everything that he promised and campaigned on, I'm talking about Barack Obama, that somehow mm -hmm. Biden is going to be an amazing fall short uh, in comparison to Trump. Uh, Lori, what are your thoughts on that? Again, how you could ever, ever think that Biden is on even, even in the same playing field, same arena, same any category as Trump is mind-blowing to me. Pretty, I, I don't think of anybody, anybody, any politician, even some of the worst ones out there, I wouldn't consider them as bad as Trump. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I feel like to compare the two and say that Biden is just as bad and there's no difference is completely, completely asinine and makes no sense at all. 
and it's, it's ignorant and it's frustrating to me. And, it, and it's like, where have you been for three years? Have you not been paying attention to the things this man says, to the things that he does? And you're absolutely right, Jeffrey. With, with the Congress wouldn't let Obama do the things he wanted to do. Right. He, whatever he managed to do, he did biting and scratching and clawing. And it was an uphill battle the entire way. In our economy prior to this COVID mess was the best it has ever been right. because of, as a result of the Obama administration, unemployment was the lowest it had ever been as a result of the Obama administration. Come so, on. you know, we can't, I don't know, these, 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 these young, these young white liberals, right? <laughs> young white liberals, mm -hmm. I wish they would just get over themselves and stop saying that, you know, they were disappointed and let down by the Obama administration. He did what he could do. And, Yes. And, and to compare anybody, to say that anybody is on the same level as Trump and is, is going to be just as bad is, is wrong. It's, it's absolutely positively wrong. And I sent you that, that, that message, you know, when it was like comparing, you know, a chicken dinner to a pile of crap with, with glass in it. And then asking, well, you know, how was the chicken prepared? The chicken? It's like, <laughs> yeah, well, how, what's the sauce on it, right? Like, you're going you're gonna to pick the poop? With the glass right. sit over the chicken because of the sauce on it, and that's what I feel like these yes. people are doing. They're 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 picking the worst possible option, and I, I can't understand why. I really I don't see one redeeming quality in this person who is our current president. Not one. Right. Well, see, Jeff, the the reason why I, I tend to agree with Lori is because people who just see no difference whatsoever between these two, Biden and Trump. I mean. For those people that see them equally the same, they're treating 45 as if he's a normal type of Republican. He's not a Mitt Romney Republican. He's not a John McCain Republican. He's not even a George H.W. or W. Bush Republican. He's a different type of figure. And for them to equate or equivocate between the two and suggest that the, the outrage that is warranted against him should also be done in a bipartisan fashion against the Democratic candidate. That goes only toward the, the, toward the objective of somehow normalizing him, that this is normal. This is what, this is how it is. Both sides are doing it. No, they're not. The corruption is not bipartisan. I, I'm so fed up with this, Jeffrey Keller. I, I don't even know what to say anymore. Because if people really can't see the difference, we're going to have a tough sled in November. This is why I need to have this panel. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've been listening to the inimitable Lori Peacock and the amazing Jeffrey Keller. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I just need a ventilation session every once in a while, y'all. And, you know, Lori and Jeff helped me with that. So I can't thank y'all enough for being here. What's up, y'all? This is your girl, Tori Alamaze, straight from the ATL. And you're listening to Psychotic Bunk School with your host, DJ Rome, at KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio on the planet. Yes, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and we're joined again by the good brother, Dr. Reggie Robinson. Dr. Robinson is a cardiologist out of Washington, D.C., and he's been right on the front lines treating patients with this coronavirus. Dr. Robinson, are you there? How are you doing? I'm here. How are you doing, brother? I'm okay. Oh, man, it's always a joy to hear our frontline heroes, man. You know, and much like your wife, I live with a frontline hero as well, being that my wife is a nurse. Uh, let me just check in with you, good brother. Uh, you're out there battling. Uh, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. It's a, you know, it's it's quite sobering and it's 
something, of course, none of us have ever seen and, you know, learning new ways of interacting with our patients and not only thinking about the healthcare workers, but also those patients that are now isolated from their families and everyone else um, that have been diagnosed with the, the disease itself. So we can't leave folk, lose focus on that, the social aspects of the isolation of those people that are diagnosed with it. Oh, man. And I think it's been no more vividly played out than um, on CNN. Just as an example, Chris Cuomo, the evening anchor, has been broadcasting from his basement and uh, isolated from his loved ones. And so he, he talks nightly about how real that struggle is, not being able to have the benefit and the comfort of your loved ones close to you. You know, during notice, Noting that his wife just became positive. Absolutely. It's crazy. Oh, man. Well, you're a hero, man. Um, I wanted to check in with you again because there are some prospects right now throughout the country. Now that we have more information available to us compared to the last time you were here helping us with this, uh, the projections and the models out there were forecasting some really dire uh, predictions. And honestly, sadly, some of those have come true. But we have more data now. What can you tell us about what you're seeing out there in terms of where we are in the treatment of this virus? Well, I first wanted to say when you said hero, we, you know, I think I could speak for many that we like that accolade, but I think most of us feel like that's a job that we signed up for and that, mm. uh, right. you know, we really appreciate the, the, the response. You know, we just, you know, most would just rather have the protection that they need when they Come use Come on, say that. Hero. So it's something that, we, you know, we've signed up for and it doesn't make our family feel comfortable as well, of course. That's right. That's right. Thank you, brother. But, yeah, but when you look at the numbers, um, it, it varies from city to city, from state to state, from uh, ward to ward. We have different wards here in D.C., Ward 8. And again, you know, you can, it, it, it triggers, it, it, it tracks rather what we see historically. I mean, this notion that it's a big surprise that it hits harder in African-American communities, I'm not sure why people are so shocked by that. Um, it, it doesn't take a brain surgeon or uh, someone that has statistical knowledge to really figure out why that is. When you think about all the healthcare disparities that are focused along the lines in our communities. So the people with, you know, black and brown people in poverty as well. You know, you have those social determinants of health that doesn't just stop with diabetes or high blood pressure. It, it tracks all of those health issues. Mm -hmm. Sure does. Well, where you are on the East Coast, uh, you're a cardiologist and you're treating patients that are experiencing this. And I think if I, I can't find where I just put that article, but I think uh, DC in particular uh, was close to almost 3,000 cases. Uh, some have recovered, and I think you're approaching 100 people that have succumbed to this illness, uh, give or take. Um, are you able to um, surmise, in, in terms of the, uh, the containment of this, um, and when you, when, you think, when you consider what you just said, that people are actually shocked that it's having a more adverse impact on our community, um, are you still seeing any change? Well, what changes have you seen since, again, we have more data now? Because what is being reported in the news that black folks are just really having a really hard time with this. And yet, 
uh, there are actually more Latinos in this country than African Americans. Are you seeing any leveling of the responses of uh, patients that are acquiring this virus? Or is it still really singularly um, mostly impacting Black folks? No, I don't want to put that out there. It affects everyone. Yeah. Um, and when we report our numbers here in DC, we call it, we look at more the DMV. So it's usually really Northern Virginia surrounding Maryland and DC since they're so close knit and many of the people in Virginia, Northern Virginia work in DC and North and surrounding Maryland. So we look at the numbers as a whole is tend to be, you know, that quote flattening of the curve is starting to occur, but you know, I think that was because they put a lot of uh, guidelines early on and uh, with the social distance guidelines, mandating um, staying at home orders and also now, all the surrounding areas are have implemented, just like in California, to wear masks when you go out. And I think that's a good thing because in America, you're, you're not used to seeing someone with a mask. But if everyone has to have it on, you're not feeling as stigmatized or like you're the outcast. So if everyone has to wear, you, you know, people feel more comfortable wearing a mask to the grocery store or uh, anywhere else around the area. So I think that was a good thing. When you think about the populations at risk. Uh, my hospital in particular, for the past few days, the numbers have been flattening and they've done a great job. I think it's, it, it all boils down to how you communicate and how your message is. So it depends on the system, the health system itself and how they're doing it with their hospitals and coordinating it with other hospitals. So here in DC, you know, MedStar hospital systems, with Georgetown, Howard University hospitals and the other surrounding hospitals, they coordinate to allow each other to know what's happening at each health system. So I think having that uh, kind of system at the micro level is very important. So you go yeah. from the micro level to the, which is the city, then to the, uh, to the larger level, which is the state and then federally or nationally. So, yeah. you know, each, each area is gonna have its own impact. Absolutely. You, Absolutely. you asked about how it's confined and whether we are seeing any flattening. I think we have a lot of chronic medical conditions in the um, African-American community, as well as in the Latino community. Mm -hmm. There may be an area where in the Latino community that they're not getting reported because they're scared of different issues with ICE. Right. So you might have people like in New York that they're finding in their homes dead. Uh, because they won't go out and get tested because they're scared that they're you know they're going to be deported or something worse right. um, so it's going to be hard to really get those numbers absolutely and to that point you mentioned earlier about having the ppe and having what you need in terms of equipment to really go out there and battle this virus as a, a medical provider of services um are you able to speak a little bit about how doctors have had to adjust how they test, who they test. Um, has there been a scaling back or a rationing given the, the, the degree of supplies available for them to actually treat patients who might have contracted this? Well, that, a couple of different questions. You talked about availability of protective devices and treatment. So mm -hmm. the availability, again, depends on your region. Here in DC, I think they're at a pretty good level um, there's always a, a room for more because once you use a protective device like a mask or a gown, you generally should throw it away. 
especially right. if you're going into an isolation room. So uh, the larger the scale, the larger the, the need generally is like New York City, which is much bigger than DC or DC is much bigger than say Alexandria, Virginia, just across the, the border itself. Um, we look at access to uh, beds or ICUs, that's gonna be a different factor. Um, the, the point on testing, there is a, you know, I guess you do have to ration it until you get more support. They were talking about it earlier today with uh, Mike Pence and the government's response in helping to get the FDA involved with um, allowing these different types of tests or the reagents to be used. So there's a, an area where, you know, you might have some testing, but the numbers can double overnight if some of these, I guess, political things or regulation things are, are lifted. You know, mm -hmm. the other side of that, you don't want trash just going out either. So I think from an FDA standpoint, you can't just haphazardly approve everything. If they don't think it's really good and you can get a lot of false negatives, then that's not doing anything. So you can flood the market with a bunch of worthless tests, making people think that they have negative tests when it actually isn't. So I, I think there's a fine line between rushing things out and doing it scientifically. Well, uh, Dr. Reggie Robinson is right there on the front line dealing with this. Thank you so much, good brother. Uh, you, you always enlighten us and you give us that cautious optimism with wisdom, insight, and expert experience. So for what you do and all you do, thank you so much. And uh, we want to welcome you back again in the near to come future. What's up, everybody? This is Cy Smith. And Sean Carter-Peterson. And you're listening to Psychotic Bump School. With your host, DJ Rome on KCWG, thetruth.com. The, the, the best internet radio station on the planet. Woo! <laughs> I'm the f***ing man, y'all don't get it, do ya? Type of money, everybody acting like they know ya. Go uptown, New York City, bitch. Some Spanish girls love me like I'm out with daughter. Tell Uncle Luke I'm out in Miami, too. Clubbing hard, f***ing women, ain't much to do. Wrist playing, got a condo up on Biscayne. Still getting brain from a thing, ain't change. How you feel, how you feel, how you feel? 25 sitting on 25 mil, uh. I'm in the building and I'm feeling myself. Rest in peace, Mac Dre. I'ma do it for the bay, okay? Getting paid, we'll holler whenever that stop. My team good, we don't really need a mascot. Tell tune, light one, pass it like a relay. YMCMB, you more YMCA. Me, Franny, and Molly Mall at the cribbo. Shot goes out to Nico, J, and Chubb, shot to Gibbo. We got Santa Margarita by the leader. She know even if I'm fucking with her, I don't really need her. Oh, that's how you feel, man. That's really how you feel. Cause the pimpin' nice cold. I just, just wanna chill. I mean, maybe she won't. Then again, maybe she she will, I can almost guarantee she know the deal, real nigga, what's up? Now she want a photo, you already know though, you only live once, that's the motto, nigga YOLO, and we bout it every day, every day, every day, like we sitting on the bench, but we don't really play, every day, every day, what anybody say, can't see him cause the money in the way, real nigga, what's up? Yes, we are back, KCWG, thetruth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School, I'm DJ Rome. And I am very proud to welcome back this guest. It's been a little while since she's been here. She's actually the author of, or the co-author, I should say, of Social Justice and Parent Partnerships in Multicultural Education Contexts. And I brought her here to have some perspective on what's happening in our country as far as reopening schools and reopening the country in general. Uh, I think she has a lot to say. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, Dr. Catherine Norris. Dr. Norris, are you there? Hi, yes, I'm here. I'm glad to be here this afternoon from Absolutely. Delaware. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, she's in Delaware, right outside of Philadelphia, and she's currently a professor at Westchester University. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. Well, Dr. Norris, it's really good to have you back, and I have been absolutely vexed at what I've been seeing, being that I work in education, too, as a school psychologist, and it is perplexing to me to see the rush to judgment when it comes to making a determination about reopening schools, reopening the country in general, but reopening schools in particular. Uh, based on what you've seen so far and how it looks out there where you are, what are your perspectives on the prospect of reopening our schools during this era of coronavirus and social distancing? What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Norris? Well, I think that, and coming from Westchester University, uh, we were one of the early uh, universities to decide um, to be out for the remaining uh, of the semester, the remainder of the semester. And I think that here in Pennsylvania and Delaware, we have some uh, school districts that have decided to remain closed for the remaining of the academic year. I think that is probably the best thing to do. Um, although I understand the concerns that we have, making sure that our students stay on track and are getting the education that they need, I think remaining closed to me is a good choice. Okay, fabulous. Now, people have been touting that this has long exposed some very long-standing inequities in the, uh, the system of education and how it exposes how people of color or students of color are disproportionately positioned to be harmed even more so uh, by this uh, coronavirus sheltering in. Uh, can you speak on that a little bit? What are some of the inequities that have been exposed even further in the wake of this pandemic? I think very early on, that was one of the first things that I noticed um, when uh, everyone was shutting their systems down. Some of the larger districts like Philadelphia and New York uh, it took a little longer to shut down because they were worried about things that other districts didn't really have to worry about. They were worrying about making sure that their students were going to be in safe spaces, making sure that their students were going to have uh, the meals that they needed each day. And they also understood that there were a lot of their students that didn't have access to computers uh, and internet services. Uh, so we're seeing uh, some of those things, uh, light being shed on those things, things that we already know about if we are from uh, those areas and those districts. Yeah, for sure. It's a little frustrating, though, Dr. Norris, because I'm watching these decision makers and uh, governors in states across the country, and some of them are making good decisions. I'm out here in California where Governor Gavin Newsom has also been uh, one of the front runners in terms of making uh, major decisions about uh, the governance of his state and how we uh, conduct ourselves right now. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing it out there, too. But what's been frustrating is this prospect that if we reopen schools right now, uh, it won't be so bad. Kids need to be around safe spaces where they can get their education, get their meals, and be uh, educated. Because in essence, we need to open our economy up right now. And one of the first steps that they're talking about is getting kids back to school. Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, it's hard for me to ask that question without experiencing a little bit of fuming frustration at the, um, the sense of dismissal that, it, you know, the prospect of that, I think Dr. Oz was one of the people that was saying the prospect of reopening schools would only cost us two to 3% of casualties. It's like, what? We trading lives now? Um, can, what are your thoughts on the, the value of human life, students, versus opening the economy in the age of this pandemic. Uh, can you talk to me about that a little bit? 
Yeah, I think one of the things that's frustrating is that this the people that are making those decisions are people that won't be in those schools, right? Mm -hmm. And won't be in those settings. So um, I'm not a doctor nor a medical scientist, but I my opinion is that health comes first and we need to put health and safety as a priority. And especially when we look at the numbers in the black community, our students and our children, our families will probably be impacted more by going back to school uh, than any other community um, here. So we have to be open and we have to be vocal about these conversations that we're having. Um, we're concerned and we want to make sure that our students are getting good quality education as well. But our number one priority is to make sure that we keep everyone healthy and alive. And if that means staying home, then we need to stay home for the remainder or the duration of this academic school year. Absolutely. Has your district uh, in particular made a decision about that? Are they considering reopening or are they actually doing online uh, distance learning right now? I imagine you all had some kind of model in place already prior to this, right? We actually, and right now I'm speaking from the university that I'm uh, uh, teaching at, we, we actually, um, had to make those decisions in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think our administration did a really good job. They've already made the decision to stay home for the remainder of the academic year, but okay. we've also made a decision to stay home for uh, the summer as well, because we typically have summer courses. We also have a lot of students come on campus for uh, high school students. Uh, they come on our campus for clubs and sports and um, those things, summer bridge programs, and we've already made a decision at the university level that those face-to-face -face, um, things will not be happening. Oh, wow. Sounds like you, you, you all out there are making some really sound decisions, in my opinion. So if you could speak to what, what could be the possible impact on learning? Um, I'm, I am in educational psychology, so one, one of the things I specialize is the, the impact of emotions on behavior and vice versa. Academic based on curriculum, what can be harmed in the, in the course of trying to force the issue of trying to force students to learn during this time, even though while you're dealing with older students, albeit uh, they, they may have learned a, a few more coping skills and resiliency resources, they might be more resourceful because they're older, but what are your thoughts on the the, the idea of right now sort of forcing children or, you know, young adults to try to learn during a time of uh, vast uncertainty like this? Well, I think it's critical that we um, first, and, and this is for all students, whether we're talking PK-12 all the way through the university level, I think it's important for us to understand um, the difference in access. So Philadelphia did a really good job at making sure that they um, provided hand paper uh, curricula for their students initially, and now they have gotten Chromebooks and they're getting those out to the students. But we have to remember as teachers and as educators that everybody is coming to the table at a different space. So if I'm a student or a family that's just uh, getting a Chromebook and just now getting internet access, um, my ability to maneuver online is not going to be the same as someone who's already had access to that and who does that on a daily basis. So we have to think about um, we have to think about those types of things too. We have to think about amount of screen time that we're having the students uh, online. Uh, is that okay? Is that 
research-based? Do we have young children that are online for too long of a period during the course of the day? We need to make sure, and I'm starting to hear reports in from public school systems, uh, from teachers and families and parents, that some uh, kids are now being required to do a whole lot more work than they were doing oh, when yes. in the classroom. So I don't think, I think teachers in their attempt to uh, make sure that their students are learning need to be very mindful to not make it too rigorous. Even at the college level, I'm hearing that, you know, we're all online and we're providing this. We want to make sure that they're not be a short change, but we're kind of overloading them and they're mm -hmm. getting so much more, yes. which means they're sitting at this screen, this computer screen, all day and all night. So we have to be cognizant of that and conscious of that as well. Whew. I can speak to that. I remember the first time I took an online course at UCLA Extension out here in California, and I was just amazed at the volume of work required for an online class. I mean, that professor had us read every chapter, answer every type of question, write about every type of question, it's extremely rigorous and far more uh, acutely challenging compared to being in person in the classroom setting. So I can vouch for that. So one of your um, projects that you did with your uh, dear uh, colleague, Dr. Tria Collier, who was planning to be here with us, uh, in your book, Social Justice and Parent Partnerships in Multicultural Education Context, you talk about sort of cultural awareness and cultural parity. Any thoughts on um, the, the, the diversity in the classroom and education system and the disproportionate access sometimes to learning that some of our bilingual students or our international students have during a time like this? In what ways are they impacted by this pandemic? And how do educators such as you try to adjust your curriculum to accommodate some of them? So when we're talking about things like uh, language um, barriers that exist, uh, we need to make sure um, that the instruction that we're providing for the parents, for our young, young kids, uh, that they have access to it in their home language. And I know that this is a whole lot to do because we're, you know, in the middle of this whole craziness and we're all trying to figure things out at the same time. But can we provide translators? Can we provide um, access uh, to the parents to have the materials? And the same with the students. And I know some of the programs that we're using are very good at making sure that they have those things. But even with our students that are special needs learners, um, how are they getting those supports? What does that support look like? Uh, we have to think about things like when we provide work or curriculum that's in an online format, um, what is best for our students that are visually impaired or our students that um, struggle with things like spatial uh, or visual uh, uh, deficits and that kind of thing. Um, all of that has to be considered. So I think that when we talk about things like grading and, and I hear a lot of students are being punished because their video is off but they're turning their video off because they don't want their classmates to see uh, their home surrounding, or they turn the sound off because of something that's going on in the house um, that they don't want anyone else to hear. Um, we're also dealing with uh, issues that families are finding. Okay, yes, I have a computer at home, but I have 
three children that are at three different levels and that all need to be logging in at the same time. And we don't have three different computers. So depending on what the district is doing and if they're supply, supplying those computers for all of the kids in the house, um, those are different issues that we need to think about. So when we think about our uh, bilingual or multilingual students, when we think about our students with special needs or our students that are coming from backgrounds that uh, we live in multifamily households. So it's a whole lot going on. Um, mm -hmm. I hear uh, professors and even K-12 teachers saying um, if they, they're going to be, you know, uh, punished if they, their video is off or they're going to be punished if they're sounded, you know, so we have to really rethink how we're doing this thing, mm -hmm. especially because it's so new. Her book is called Social Justice and Parent Partnership in Multicultural Education Contexts. We've been speaking with Dr. Catherine Norris. Dr. Norris, thanks for joining us again. What's the best place for people to get in touch with you or to find your book? Yes, so for sure, you can go right on to Amazon.com and you can get a copy of um, our textbook there. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter at Prof Norris, P-R-O-F-N-O-R-R-I-S, and you could hit me up there. It was so good being with you this afternoon and stay well. Oh, you do the same. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. Stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back after this. This is Amber Ojeda, and you're listening to Psychotic Bum School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Every man has a place in his heart, there's a space. And the world can erase his fantasy Take a ride in the sky On a sheer fantasy All your dreams will come true Miles away And we live together Until we We all will live love Okay, we're continuing our discussion, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of coverage on the news of the impact of this coronavirus 
in the African-American community, but what has not been covered as much as that is what's happening in our other very diverse communities, including the Latin community. I have a couple of people that have been here before and they're gonna help us have this conversation because there are some adverse, uh, just some very tertiary experiences that are happening right now at our border, which is not being talked about anymore, nor is something else being talked about, the impact on relationships and those that may be experiencing abuse. So to help me have that conversation, I'd like to welcome back two amazing uh, frontline workers. We have licensed marriage and family therapist, Maria Alfaro out of Southern California, and the incomparable Gigi Da Silva Castro, educational psychologist, as well as marriage and family therapist in Northern California. Maria, Gigi, are you there? I'm yes. here. Oh, fantastic. I am really excited to have this conversation with you both. Let's turn first to Maria, because I had you here a few months ago, and we were talking about the crisis at the border, and I haven't heard much about that since the onset of this pandemic. What can you tell us about what you know about the latest in terms of how this pandemic has impacted issues at the border? Ms. Maria Alfaro. It has a lot of impact. Um, as you may be aware, a lot of the Central uh, America countries, they shut down their borders and they're not allowing to either enter or leave the country. So therefore, a lot of um, illegal doc, um, people who were trying to get to United States, they actually got trapped in Mexico and they cannot go back to uh, to their corresponding countries. So they're just there and, um, and the problem is they're running out of money. They don't have a place to stay. They're living in, in um, shelters and they don't have so much access to, uh, to medical facilities. So it's been a lot of problems and most of all, they cannot even request for asylum given that Right now, as you might be aware, uh, immigration is not processing any applications at the present. Wow. So it has had a lot of process. And uh, I myself work with an attorney where um, I help do the uh, evaluations for the, um, for the people who are seeking asylum. And they also stop because right now, families they don't have um means uh you know like for to gain any in, to to search for any kind of uh, um, employment given the pandemic and most of all there's a lot of fear a lot of fear even just going out so it has yeah. tremendous effects oh my goodness yeah that sounds like a lot and Gigi I can only imagine the impact in the educational world from a mental health standpoint what's been your experience so far based on what you've seen in your region what can you tell us Miss Gigi De Silva Castro um, so on my end, I, I agree with everything that Maria has said, and to to just jump on that, I think that what has this portion of the population has already been, I think, isolated and, mm -hmm. and fearful because of all the um, you know negativity towards immigrants, and yeah. then I think that it has even further isolated them as she has mentioned and educationally i think it has impacted them negatively tremendously because of um you know many of these families are poor as you know i'm in northern california but i, I live in napa 
mm-hmm. and on uh, a couple of my schools, 90% or one of them is even 95% of the population of students are, are, are Latin American, you know, they're mm-hmm. Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And um, what I find is that many of them don't even have computers or laptops that they can even access Zoom meetings or Zoom, you know, virtual classrooms with their teachers. So the school district has had to um, not only supply them with um, with these laptops and, and devices that they need to access their education, but yeah. we've also had to ensure that you know, help provide internet because many of them don't even have access to internet. And so, um, and, and, and so that poses a problem for obvious reasons, but also for me, because um, I've been checking in via phone, but I can't see them anymore face to face because they don't have access to, to the internet. And so that's been really challenging it's already awkward and different and a little more uh distant to 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 do these counseling sessions over over zoom but like now imagine when they have no internet i'm just kind of calling and it's 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 really really sad absolutely to see because the parents are trying Mm-hmm. And um, and they're stressed out and they're losing their jobs because many of these mm-hmm. parents work in the um, restaurant business, mm-hmm. you know. And so as we are able to stock up yeah. and um, get our necessities, many of them are living paycheck to paycheck. So they don't have the affordability to to stock up. They have to go as they get paid and they're just not... Mm getting paid and have access to cash or anything to feed their families. So they're, they're, you know, one of those families that are in lines um, for food handouts. It's, yeah. it's just a horrible situation that, that I, I think um, the government has not planned for. And Absolutely. It's unfair. Yes. And it's really just laying bare all of these, these social differences and inequities that existed even prior to this, right? And so anytime something like this hits the communities of color, they always feel the impact more. Maria, uh, I I did want to talk about uh, potential issues with being stuck inside with potential abusers and not being able to access help. Uh, what can you tell us on from from a MFT standpoint? Are you getting a lot of extra calls about domestic abuse or uh, people in trouble, whether it be women, men, or children. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, actually, yes, it is happening. There has been an increase in domestic violence. Um, the main issue is like now their families have been forced to be, um, in a, you know, in a house uh, 24-7. So compared to before, prior to coronavirus, where parents were working, children were at school, they would meet a few hours. So now it's like, they have to deal with each other. So they haven't been exposed to be, you know, being together. So yes, tempers, we have received, um, you know, like a, a, a actually abuse from parents, um, from fathers, um, domestic violence, uh, physical abuse. Uh, we have been able to put, uh, put people in hotels 
because um, they needed to be leaving their homes due to the domestic violence. Uh, tempers, I mean, it's not easy dealing with what's happening. So of course, like they're getting frustrated, getting angry. Uh, some of these people don't have the capacity to deal with the anger, so they start getting aggressive. So yes, there has been an increment in domestic violence. Yeah, so sad, so sad. Yes. Well, uh, I want to thank you both for bringing these issues to the forefront. Um, where can people turn, Maria, if they want to try to access help and reach out to someone like yourself or Gigi? Uh, if they're in a situation like that, what can they do? There are a lot of places where they can call. Um, at the moment, I don't have the phone numbers, but um, they can contact in, my, um, in Southern California if they were to contact 211 and they speak Spanish, English, um, and they can provide assistance where they can go to receive mental health services. Oh, that's great. Awesome. And up in Northern California, uh, of course, we have protective services that we can call if we know our children may be suspected of having uh, exposure to, to that kind of harm. But Gigi, uh, any resources you can share with us as to what families can do uh, in addition to reaching out to their schools for help and getting food and picking up laptops when they can. Uh, what else can you tell us on that before we let you go? Well, in Napa, we have an organization called Mentis that um, has bilingual therapists and um, and also shelters that they can um, that they can have get access to if they're really in a in a compromising and dangerous situation at home. Absolutely. And we, we want to encourage them because we know that there is a very, very palpable level of fear out there and legitimately so because there have been some obvious depictions of this country being very, very cruel to this population. And so if they are in trouble, they might hesitate calling 911 if they need help or if they need an officer to come check in or do a welfare check and check in and see how they're doing, you know, but we really want them to know that those resources are available and um, Wow, hopefully, oh my God, hopefully they won't get arrested. I mean, I know that in, uh, I think in Oakland, California, they made it plainly known to some of the ICE officers there that they're not going to be reporting anybody right now for deportation. I mean, we have to put all that aside. I mean, this is a humanitarian crisis right now and all that stuff needs to just fall it by is. the wayside so we can just do the right thing. Oh my God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been listening to Maria Alfaro, licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California. And of course, Gigi Da Silva Castro, educational psychologist, as well as marriage and family therapist in Northern California. Ladies, thank you so much for what you're doing for our communities. Continued success to you. And when you come back, uh, I'm going to be looking for some updates again. So will you join us again on Psychotic Bump School? Sure. Yes. Would love that. Thank All you. right, y'all. That's Maria and Gigi. Stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back after this.
Michael Funk of the Soul Children LA, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Okay, y'all, I got a bone to pick with this one. Uh, I wanted to assemble a panel because there's been something happening in our news and it, it, I'm not going to front. It's got me upset. It's got me all up in my feelings. Uh, it's, it's more than just being passionate, y'all. I'm just, I'm, I'm fed up. I'm fed up. Uh, in the news, in case you haven't seen, we've had three renowned experts, uh, uh, finger quotes with that one, Dr. Oz, Dr. Drew, Dr. Phil, uh, all celebrated figures in their own right, talking about uh, the prospect of reopening the economy during the age of this virus. And all three of them have stated in almost unanimous consent, along with this current administration, that we need to quickly reopen the economy, even though it would come at the expense of human lives. And uh, I couldn't believe my ears. And uh, I just had to assemble people who have some insight and expertise in this matter and what the implications are when these three in particular um, come out and make statements such as this. So to help me have this conversation, it is an honor, y'all. I don't know if I've ever had so much talent in one call before, but here they are, one by one. Uh, I'd like to welcome back all of these amazing guests. You guys know my good brother from Southern California, social worker, Mr. Jamal Jones is here. We also have the very, very talented licensed clinical social worker, also from Southern California, Miss Casey Phillips-Brown from Northern California. We have the good brother who is an educational psychologist and administrator, Dr. Chase Moore. We have the inimitable mental health therapist in Northern California, Miss Kyra Christian, and of course, the amazing family of this program, the incomparable married, licensed marriage and family therapist team, Art and Arissa Harris and Baby Faith. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Psychotic Bump School. Uh, I'm glad all y'all are here to help talk me off the ledge. I'm about to lose my mind on these three dudes. And I, I can't even hold back. 
So let me go first to Narissa Harris. Uh, Narissa, I think you've caught some of my venom when I reached out to y'all. Uh, tell me quickly your thoughts on what you've been hearing from these three renowned doctors. Man, you know, I, I kind of feel where you coming from, um, Rome. I, I think it's ridiculous um, to put out there in society that we need to open the country back up. To me, it really just feels like the reason they want to do this is for this capitalistic gain, so to speak. And we really need to look at the fact that it's lives out there um, that are, you know, on the front line and that it's more than money. And I kind of feel like if people are not really taking social distancing seriously right now, and then we have these three doctors come on here and kind of give almost a little bit of misinformation, you know, it's just watering down the severity of what's happening out here with this pandemic. Absolutely. So They've been yeah. almost in lockstep with this administration. I was shocked, Art Harris, because in my opinion, Dr. Drew and Dr. Phil had a little bit of credibility leading up to this. What's been your thoughts on this, Art Harris? Well, I mean, I always look at um, providers like mental health or doctors on TV as more like being pop culture. And if somebody's paying them, and I've never really took what they said um, more than just entertainment, but now it's destructive because right. so many people listen to these people and think that um, what they say is true, like opening up the um, economy. People um, are already dying of other stuff. People might take what they're saying and go out. You saw what happened at the beaches in Florida and at right. other places across the country. They opened it up and people gathered in protests. People don't have the ability to limit themselves and keep themselves from spreading this thing and gathering. And mm -hmm. so by going with the government and endorsing that opinion of opening up, we're creating more mass hysteria and more cases and more deaths. And black people are gonna feel the blow of it even harder than others. Absolutely. So why is he not wrong, uh, Casey Phillips Brown? Casey Phillips Brown is a licensed clinical social worker in Southern California. Why are Art and Arissa not wrong? I mean, what's the objective of sending out these mixed messages like these two doctors have? I can't tell you for sure what the objective is, but I could agree with them on what's going to be the end results. Um, and the fact that they're going to be, it's already a disproportionate amount of us who are dying from this. And it's not because we're out there smoking and drinking like it was mentioned by the Surgeon General, but it's just the, the lack of uh, the barriers to uh, healthcare. Um, I've heard so many stories of people feeling sick, trying to go to the hospital and being told to go home. Oh, no, yep. you're okay. I'm not getting tested. Um, and again, what are you going home to? Everyone doesn't have the luxury to quarantine in their basement and then the rest of their family not have to interact with them. Mm -hmm. We have people living on top of people. I mean, and, and just the culture, we, we love each other. We're going to be around even if we don't need to be around, we right? Be around. But exactly. well, we're going to be around each other. Mm -hmm. But now it's very difficult if someone, if one person gets sick, you're hearing about whole households of people getting sick. So right. yeah, I, I can't say for, I can't pinpoint exactly why they're doing it, but I can tell you how it's hurting us and how mm -hmm. it will continue to hurt us right. if we're listening. And I, and I know I'm the queen of conspiracy theories, and, but hearing right. all the different theories and they're like, oh, don't listen, just go. They just want to keep you from being outside. Mm. That is, you need to make sure we take the social distancing 
seriously right. and do our best to still interact with one another by being safe. I don't know how many birthday parties I've been to on Zoom. Virtual. Uh, right. Virtual birthday parties right. where we can, we're still connecting. I, I hosted a, um, a game of Black Card Revoked with my family the other night. Some of them were in Alabama. Some of them were here in L.A. Some were in Northern California. Ooh. All of this. Playing a game online. Just trying to be still socializing but being safe. So, yeah. It's going to hurt us more than anyone else. We're always going to have that type of situation. So we have to be way more careful um, and protect ourselves. We sure do. Well, Kyra and Chase, I'm coming to you in just a second. But Jamal, uh, Casey is right. I mean, we can't get too relaxed right now. What is it about certain people? I mean, I know there's some black and brown people that are rushing to these beaches in protests, whether it be in Florida, whether it be in Michigan. Uh, for the most part, I think it's mostly Trump supporters, for the most part, who just can't stand being told what they can't do for mm -hmm. for a period of time. Um, what 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 is this? What is this all about from your vantage point, uh, Jamal Jones, social worker in Southern California? Give me your thoughts, brother. Well, well, speaking in regard to the Trump, you're seeing Trump followers and supporters. Um, you know what I've been I've heard in the street. You know, as far as it, you know, it's it's surprising. I mean, I hate saying this. There's 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 Trump supporters in in at DCFS, which is just crazy, but um, that's a whole nother show right is, there. Isn't that's it? a whole nother show, right? <laughs> so I'm just saying the thing is that um, with that, I think I've been hearing things like liberties and 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 liberties and things and freedom being taken away, and and um, that the fact that cities and governors and are are locking people down and you know taking your guns away you hear that in a conversation and it's like oh my god they're gonna we can't get guns we can't do this this is this is a whole big conspiracy in regards to locking everything down my but on another note one of my big concerns right now is just talking about with our people and with black people yes um is when i read that article and i'm sure you guys have read it when it, when the uh two doctors in france had mentioned that they wanted to mm -hmm. test the virus on black folks yes poor yes. black Africans. Well, so this Africans. is where so this is where you're hearing so many things, be it from Drew and all this other stuff, and mm -hmm. people are confused. So I can just speak to, to, to my folks, you know what I'm saying, and black folks. And what I'm hearing is, is a lot of folks are just kind of like questioning a lot of things, right? Just because mm -hmm. the thing is, one of the things that I've heard in the street is, okay, now we're being labeled as the ones that are being disproportionately affected all of a sudden. But then what people in the neighborhood are doing is tying that with the statement from France, right? Hmm. So, there's, they're, so they're feeling uncomfortable. Not to say, you know, this one of the conspiracy thing, but why are we putting it at the, why are, are we being put at the top of this thing because of the same thing they were trying to do with the poor Africans, right? Ooh. So that's what you'll hear in the community. That's what you hear talks about that. But again, be it truth or not, not true, information is being pumped all over the place and confusing and creating creating a lot of anxiety yep and it's just it's it's creating chaos and i think that the problem is again you know you have the cdc who is not coming out uh that was on cnn yesterday where the cdc has not been giving information in regard to statistics and things that are happening and in saying that last night they talked about african americans on cnn and they said hey cdc has not released the, the population, who's at most risk, and all this other stuff. So they say one thing where they said, okay, well, African Americans are not, I mean, are disproportionately going to be affected by this. But then the same guy who was over the CDC, the former director, comes back and out of his same mouth and says, right. but the CDC has not released 
any data in regard to who the target populations are the ones that are who most affected by this thing. So when you hear that, it just further confuses everyone to say, like, what is going on? Like, why Absolutely. you're hearing these people open it up? You know, let's just stop Trump saying this and then someone else is saying this. And then you have the celebrities coming out and they're, you know, shelter at home, shelter at home, shelter at home. And it's like, what, what's, what's going on? So, so many messages. It is. And, and we have just in the black community, unfortunately, we can't just be in a pandemic and just have to deal with the normal health concerns. We have to right. worry about a history of racism, a history of people experimenting on us. I mean, again, check out the book, uh, Medical Apartheid. I listen to anything oh. from Dr. Joy DeGru. Like, right. it's, it's, oh, it's, yeah. his, it's historically speaking, we cannot just say, okay, we are going to trust what you say. No, we have right. way too many instances when we've been mistreated. Yeah. Um, just, right. Th- right. This whole thing has made me think when they said they were sending people home, uh, uh, black people home, uh, saying, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. It made me think of what uh, Dr. Joy DeGru talked about in her book, Post Traumatic Slave uh, Syndrome. And yeah. when she mentioned, that with Thomas Jefferson and how he and other founding fathers and people who are highly respected in those times ca- talked about us being so, oh, they're strong. They don't have a soul. Right. They don't have, they don't hurt. Yeah. Um, they, yeah. you know, they, so I think that has really seeped into the medical community. And so mm-hmm. oh, they'll be okay. They'll toughen it out. They have a yeah. higher tolerance for pain. So right. then we have to worry about how we're going to be treated when, we, when some people can just be in a pandemic and just get the news and be entrusted. Right. 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 It's a hodgepodge and just throw things against the wall and let's just see what sticks, right? Kyra Christian, I'm coming to you right now. Chase Moore, you're going to be next. Uh, Kyra, uh, Casey and Jamal just broke down some things. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? And from your perspective, what's the objective with all this muddying of the message? So from my perspective, it's personal gain over humanity and human rights. Mm. Um, and so what side are you going to be on? Are you on personal gain? Because it, it really is classic Darwinism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's survival of the richest. And so if you don't have no money, money talks. That's and right. this is, to me, this is what's happening where, you know, Dr. Oz is saying it's an appetizing opportunity. Look at the wording of what mm-hmm. he's saying. Um, and and we haven't been considered citizens. Everything that has happened in this country was not built for us. We were not in mind when the founding fathers came and stole this land from somebody else. And mm-hmm. so I'm personally wow. not upset because they're just doing what they've been doing, which is Ooh. benefiting from white supremacy. Come on. Come um, on. And their leader who gets on and acts a fool and continues to spread lies and continues to benefit and have generational wealth for his grandkids, 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 Mm. is never going to take in account and affect our community and what it's doing to us. He does not care. He's not supposed to. We're supposed to. Well, that's that's our job. Exactly. That's why you're here, Kyra, and everybody else. So, Chase, I'm coming to you. Uh, Yeah, thank you. You know, I agree with what everyone has said. I feel like, uh, you know, for a long time, we... We've never been able to trust what, um, you know, they've been doing to us here in America, really across the diaspora. So I think what this does is highlight the need for us to have our own black doctors, own black experts in those medical our own black researchers, because uh, to some extent, we are in a very vulnerable, vulnerable position because the information that we're depending on, we don't have faces like us that are completing the information uh, or giving the information to us. Uh, I don't feel like uh, we will be using words like appetizing when we're talking about. Oh, Oh my God. Uh, 
you know. Oh, what sorry. Sorry. Oh, what? Who uses that word? Yeah, right. If one of talk about children dying, right? We're not using those words, right? I mean, if you know, because that's just not who we are. And so, again, I think Rome, what we were talking about is how at the at the core, our philosophies about life are different, right? The reason we're here in this industrial age with technology is because their philosophy about life is conquering nature and and being able to pro- be progressive and move forward at the expense of life. And a more African-centered philosophy is about harmony and balance with nature. It's about living one with each other and ensuring the survival of the tribe. So at our core philosophy, the core philosophies of Europeans and Africans are different. And so, of course, we're going to problem when it comes to pandemics and things of that nature. So I think it's, you know, really important for people like all of us and, and you, Rome, to get us on the line and to talk with you and to spread the message that you're not crazy if you're thinking that this is crazy, right? So our own philosophy and we have we we have a desire to to solve problems in a certain way. So to get back to your to your point, I feel like when Africa is strong, then we're going to be strong because we can have a nation who has our our interests in hand, our core values, and we have the science and the research to put out our own solution. But in the absence of that, we're at the mercy of people who can lie to us, and then we are the ones who have to justify it, right? That's like when that's the you know the number one thing with power, you know, like. Um, you we have to define reality based on what you tell us and that and that's power so in order to empower ourselves i think this is an excellent time for us to see the reason why you know we we often can get caught up in living these lives where we can put our head down and we can be relatively successful in terms of finances but it's only when things like this come up that we realize what we need and we and we need each other we need our own philosophy that was dr chase moore educational psychologist northern california Art Harris, stand by. I'm coming to you in just a second. Kyra Christian, um, Chase is not wrong, right? I mean, you are uh, notorious for introducing me to places like Black Safe Spaces and why it's so important for us to have our own platform so we can hash these issues out because otherwise we think we're crazy because everything seems like it's upside down. It's like the wrong people are being rewarded for inappropriate behavior. And so what can we further do to let people know about these types of platforms and have these sort of um, nuanced discussions? Because it, there's merit to both sides of opening the economy, but we have to take care of ourselves first, right? So right. can you talk further about the importance of having the, you know, the, this kind of dialogue in the, in the face of our people? Well, it's important to have... Um to have facts right so you can make an educated uh educated guess or educated assumption of what's going on it's a fact that china shut down for five months it's a fact that we've only shut down for two months and so what is going to happen in this three months lapse is that a lot of us are going to die and so we need to ask ourselves as a community are we okay with that and if you're okay with that, sit by and let it happen. And if you're not okay with that, you jump on a podcast with Rome and you talk about what we're Come supposed on. to do, which is have a sense of community. And that's our um, that's our background. Like uh, Dr. Moore was saying, um, Pan-African, we've always had emoja and unity and we've always stuck together. Being individualistic, that is not of our culture. That's right, that's right. Art Harris, um, you, you stay in touch with stuff like this. I know you've been studying uh, some very, um, 
you know, some highly renowned spiritual texts lately to sort of further inform uh, your approach to this whole thing. Um, Art Harris, why is this so important for our people in the midst of facing uh, the, the prospect of who do we trust, what resources we can rely on? I know Black people love Jesus, love Jesus, love Jesus, and maybe they love God too, but being able to talk in safe spaces like this, can you emphasize again for us, Art Harris, uh, why this is so important, especially during this time? Um, well, I mean, you're right. I have been doing a little bit more studying. Um, I told Rome last week that um, last week I took on the challenge of trying to read the whole Quran in a weekend. I didn't finish it. <laughs> okay. I'm but, um, but I did make it to, um, to um, some of the same stories from the Bible where they talked about how there's certain disease and plagues that keep coming and coming about on the people and you have to um, prepare whether it's famine and what happens people get destroyed because they get divided mm -hmm. and so what one thing i've been noticing is that um this individualism and, and this focus on trying to survive in capitalism has made people forgot of tapping in into their ancestors and to the higher power and that yeah. that strength we get from really coming together mm -hmm. uh, because um, yesterday, me and my wife, and I invited you to it also, we sat on a Zoom yeah. conference on um, with the Black Psych National Black Psychologists Association. Yes. And um, in it, um, Dr. Wade Nobles, he was talking about how we have to come together, how we have to survive together. You know, how um, not just individually trying to well, bunker down in your um, basement, right? He's talking about us as a community needs to be aware of what's happening and keep each other safe. Um, and I think that's really the best thing we can do is remember that some of these things have been talked about and prophesied, prophesied before, if I'm using the right term, right? Mm -hmm. And that we have to make sure that we stay together during these times, but not be foolish enough to stay together and go out and get um, COVID-19 and bring it back to our people. It's like coming together like in a mental and spiritual sense instead of going out in the physical world and spreading this disease to our um, family and to ourselves. But it's hard. It is. Because most of the people that I know, um, they we can't work from home. Most uh -huh. people that I know, especially Black people, are out um, nurses, um, police officers, um, delivery drivers, store workers, mm -hmm. just regular, most of the working people, a lot of black people, they, they can't afford to stay home. Absolutely. They have to go out and work. And wow. that's why they want us to go back to work because this country was built on like slave labor. Mm. No matter how much we get paid, they still look at us like that. Ooh, wow. And it's in all throughout society, mm -hmm. you know, and you and if people think, no, it's no way we could still be looked at as slaves. And I always think of old Mississippi, where they had slaves working in every single trade and occupation you can think of. Slave labor was doing the work. Mm -hmm. And so people think just because we're not in cotton fields, they don't look at us as collateral or um, just just property and so we have to look better than that and we can't stay in this mindset that it's okay 
to do it because they say it's okay. It's okay to go back out because they say it's okay. We have to do what's best for us. And that means we have to come together and maybe look out for those who can't afford not to go out. Absolutely. And it's hard to do. It is. Casey and Jamal, I'm coming to you in just a second. But Narissa, can you, you pick up right there? Because what Art is talking about, Art and you are able to go through this pandemic together. But mm -hmm. as you know, since our community is being so disproportionately impacted, some of us are dying. Yeah. Some of us are sick and on ventilators. And when you are sick and on a ventilator, you can't see family. You can't, right. have, human, you can't have human contact. Um, to what degree have you seen or experienced through your practice the, the, the level of, of isolation that is impacting our community and our mental health right now because mm -hmm. it's bothering us to a higher degree than other communities? Narissa Harris, can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just got a second. My husband, I'm like, he over here preaching. Yes, he's speaking the truth. Preach, preacher. But he's speaking on some serious points. And, and what you are saying is, yeah, you know, I feel I feel like super beyond blessed that we able to like be able to stay home and that we actually live together. It's almost like we are being controlled but we have to kind of follow suit of control to be safe, which brings up a whole bunch of other stuff. You know what I mean? And so I'm noticing like higher levels of depression, higher levels of anxiety, and even like this loop that's happening with people that have a history of trauma or PTSD. Now you are stuck in the house with those thoughts. Casey and Jamal, stand by real quick. Chase, uh, I would be remiss because what she's talking about is the social isolation and the increase in anxiety and depression that ensues when people are experiencing this. You have a book out there, and Casey, I'm going to have you plug your book as well, but Dr. Chase Moore has a book about increasing the communication between children and their families and having those uh, common links between the two. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Chase? In what ways could that be useful in helping families through a time like this? I think she is absolutely right. Um, so my book is called The Emotion, The Tree and Me, and it uses the analogy of how a tree go, grows to uh, talk about how the emotions in, in our children grow, and they grow from the root. And the roots come from the experiences that we have uh, with our parents and the people in our lives as we grow. And it's important that you have those conversations to ensure that the messages you think your children are getting from your interactions are actually what they're getting because they, they, you know, we all learn more from what we are uh, experiencing than what we say. And so uh, it's important that you are showing your children through your behavior, how to cope. They're going to learn more about coping now by watching you in these tough times than you can ever tell them. So it's important that you be the, be the healing. And I think that's the difference between like an African-centered approach and maybe like more of a Westernized psychology approach is uh, the Westernized psychology is something you have to put on. You don't have to be that person, but you have to just do that so you can cope. Uh, Kyra, pick up right there again. Oh, I was just saying that is a, a very um, specific approach and it's mind, body, and soul. And we're not going to get that from the Western, medica Western medicine because we're not considered a of a culture that has a soul. And so mm -hmm. that approach is specifically for us and something that we need to continue to teach our, um, our tribes what that looks like. You don't just say it, you live it, you do it, you breathe it, it becomes you and mm -hmm. you become the example so someone else in your family can see your happiness and what that looks like. 
because our happiness looks like us not worrying about them. Ooh. Mm. Come with it. Come with it. Man. man, I was so mad when I got on this call. Y'all are so amazing. Y'all are so talented. <laughs> y'all. Yes, y'all are. All of y'all. <laughs> That was Kyra Christian, mental health therapist in uh, Northern California. Right before that was Dr. Chase Moore, the author of The Emotion, The Tree, and Me. Uh, we also have Art and Arissa Harris, married, licensed, and marriage and family therapist couple from Northern California. Also, Art Harris is also a school psychologist. Oh, my God, so much talent on this call. We have in Southern California standing by the good brother Jamal Jones, who's an amazing, inimitable social worker working in Southern California. And I'm about to turn it over right now real quick to uh, the amazing licensed clinical social worker, Ms. Casey Phillips-Brown. Well, uh, like I said, uh, we're, we're just about out of time. And um, you have a book also out there called uh, We Just Said No. Uh, can you give us some final thoughts before I turn it over to Jamal about uh, ways in which we're uh, able to empower our people, particularly our community in the age of mixed messaging and getting the right spiritual food down into our spirit? Uh, Ms. Casey Phyllis-Brown, can you talk to us about that a little bit before we let you go? I sure can. I think the, the, the biggest thing we need to remember, this may sound a little doom and gloom, you know, like, oh my gosh, we're, here we go again. We're in a bad situation. Black people, the world is against us. Yeah, but you know what? We always rise. I look back to just last night. I was having a horrible time after the Teddy Riley versus Babyface battle went yeah. just all epic fail. But no, we yeah. thought we were going to get an epic music battle, but we ended up getting an epic night of comedy. Like, you cannot keep black people down with the memes, the jokes. I mean, there's still love for both of those performers, but we can take a bad thing and turn it into something beautiful and hilarious. And I didn't go to bed till 3.30 in the morning laughing at all that last night. So my point is, don't be sad when you hear us talking like this. You know, we are going right. to be good. We can't do anything else. We are going to be good. So a couple of things. My book is just, um, we just said no treating ADHD without medication. So a child with ADHD right now may be having a very difficult time being stuck yeah. in the home, Absolutely. right? Because already their they're hyperactivity, they need to be out, they're getting on people's nerves. My, my poor six-year-old broke my laptop for work. I'm like, baby, he's mm. like, well, I didn't mean to. And he oh. jumped up and knocked it over. Um, we have situations where he is dying to be outside and you, know, you can't do the physical activities. I have a, that, and those kind of things calm down a kid with ADHD. My uh, younger son, he has an aviation class. He can still take that online. He can't fly, but he can, you know, do the online classes. My son's scuba diving is his, is his calming activity he can't scuba dive right now so what yeah. we want to do is really try to make sure people follow some do's and don'ts a do reach out for help if you need to call a friend call a family member call a pastor call it don't call it ex maybe <laughs> but call people <laughs> who are gonna bring some light and sunshine into your life right now we are That's in right. some times right now and we need to smile Yes. We want to try to get outside. I had him try to go. I know we we're trying to do some social distancing, but he needs to run and to get rid of some activity. I've been taking him to their chiropractor, which is a way for them to get their uh, adjustments that focus on their mood and their health. Um, also, we need to really talk to our young people and explain the importance of social distancing. I don't think they understand. I'm right. hearing. I still I'm still working, so I'm a clinical supervisor, and my people are telling me about kids sneaking out at night, going to see their friends, mm -hmm. coming back home, party. Uh, yeah. Right, and we have people whose parents are medical workers. And their kids are out there going to parties, exactly, and then coming back. Mm -hmm. So we yeah. want to focus on a and diet. They're impacting their mood tremendously. Any time a diet can impact your mood, right? Especially with ADHD, you want to take out the sugar, take out the starches. But right now, we really want to watch our children's diets because it's impacting their mood in a way that it causes more depression. They're sitting around eating chips, drinking sodas, eating a bunch of starch, eating a lot of sugar, then they're gonna be more depressed than they normally are. And the rise in suicidal, um, suicidality may um, come up. 
Mm-hmm. So I, at the end, I'm going to give you some more resources, but um, you want to get them to exercises, YouTube, walking. If there's stairs in the house, use that, lifting weights. Uh, one thing that's helped in my whole household is music. I've been telling my kids, hey, put your feelings right now into words, express yourself. So they've been using different apps. I'm going to send that to uh, Rome a little bit. Um, I think it's called Audacity, which will help you make your own rap songs, or your own oh, musical, yeah. whatever you like to do. Absolutely. I, I want to say, don't feel like you have to be productive. I think a lot of people are feeling like, dang, I always said I was going to clean out that car. Too, I always right? said I was going to clean out that other room. Exactly. And now I go all the time, and I'm a loser. No, we're going through a very traumatic time. It's okay to yeah. not feel like you have to complete goals. It's okay to be Come on. sad. It's okay yeah. to mourn. It's okay yeah. to mourn right now. We have people who are losing family members, not necessarily to COVID-19, but losing family members, and they can't even attend funerals and can't properly grieve exactly. and console and be there for their family members. So it's okay to mourn the loss of others. And yeah. in the same breath, it's okay to be happy. It's okay yeah. to be happy to still have a job. It's okay to ha- be happy that you still have some, you have some free time now and you can get some rest. Um, during this time, we're definitely going to see, some, unfortunately, some rise in domestic violence. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I want people to look out for is to check on pe- people you know who are not in the best relationships, and you can always call nine one one. You're gonna think uh, for child abuse, that's expected to rise as well. Uh, you have all these kids who are normally at school driving the teachers crazy or just having fun with their friends, and now they're at home all day with their families. So a number to call is one eight hundred five four zero four thousand, at least in the uh, Southern California area. And then also elder abuse. People are losing patience. People are tired. So being aware to check on our elders and the number, in, at least in the Southern California area, for uh, elder abuse is one 877 You can always call those numbers and ask what's the number in your own area. Two more real quick. We have the warm line, which we called the other day. Just my kid was like, I need to talk to somebody who's not an adult. And he called at one in the morning and it was a young mentor helping him with his relationship issues. So the warm line is 855-952-9276. And then when there's a rise in negativity, there's also a, a rise in positivity. Positivity. We're going to have a rise in family time. You can play mm-hmm. games with your kids. You can watch movies with your kids. You can make, uh, do crafts with them. Um, some games exploding kittens snake oil we've been playing the black wall street game which is about tulsa and it's like a monopoly but it's a black version it's awesome so yeah feel free to introduce your kids to some old school games you used to play so and learn a new skill everybody about to come out at my house learning spanish so yeah um, (laughs) (laughs) we're about to watch some movies and subtitles but uh, again my book is we just said no treating adhd without medication uh you can find it on amazon um or on my website new perspectives programs so Come yeah, thank on. you, Rome, for this opportunity. I, this has been great. Yeah, my spirits are also lifted hearing all these wonderful, intelligent people talk so um, profoundly about what we're going through. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Narissa Harris, uh, between your husband and this one right here, Casey Phillips Brown, they both preaching. Um, okay, that's what I was just going to say. Okay. I'm coming to you in just a second, but see, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why Casey Phillips Brown has all the, this energy is she just took another lap around the sun. And, um, uh, it was her birthday over this weekend, so uh, happy birthday to you. And, Thank you. I turned 50 years old today. 50 years old. Thank you so much. Hey. Happy birthday to Casey Phillips Brown. We got to get the Stevie Wonder version of happy Oh, yeah. Right. No doubt. Oh, yeah. And it's funny you should mention Teddy and uh, Babyface because as we speak, by the time this is airing, uh, they're going to try it again on Monday 
morning. Oh, yes. Can't wait. And 8 p.m. Pacific time. So it's going to compete with the airtime for this one. But check out both of us. But y'all definitely need to be staying right where you are listening to Psychotic Bump School and listening to all this amazing talent. Well, Jamal Jones, I don't know how you can improve upon that, but good brother. I know, right? <laughs> pressure, that was brother. awesome. Uh, land the plane for us, good brother. Uh, your thoughts, your optimism going forward. Close us out, good brother. Are we going to get through this COVID-19 or what? I think so. I mean, I think, yeah, I thought we're going to get through it. And I think, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of the things that have been worrying us and giving us a lot of anxiety. But I think one of the positives that we could look at as a people, being able to come together, um, on all levels and coming together and using this as an opportunity to rebuild. Because right. again, you know, being the fact we're sheltering in care, and, I mean, sheltering in home and we're sitting here and we're being mindful because we can't go out. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're talking to people we haven't talked to more intimately. We're having more intimacy with certain situations and has a time for us to process, be it with folks that, you know, folks that are thinking about the job market, thinking people that are talking about the, the government, thinking, talking about, corporations and how they're doing people wrong and how they're just taking all this money and and all these people are out on here on the streets becoming homeless because they just can't afford to do whatever because these disproportionate incomes of of these CEOs and it's like it it contributes to things like this or people can't afford to take care of themselves if they take a day off of work so a lot of these things that people can collectively come together and say you know what how do we rebuild right because the power is with us and bringing everyone together, we can all fight against a lot of the things that we're worried about. And now it's forcing everyone to come together. Everyone has to come together. And it'll be very powerful if we realize that, again, not these celebrities are telling us to stay at home while they're on a yacht or in these big (laughs) compounds. Stay at home while we have to go to work as social workers going out masked up trying to help save people's lives while you're at home, you know, getting caviar. It's like, no, the people, the people, the people, the people and the working class people and the working class and the poor and all of us together to come together to say, you know what, let's see how we can rebuild for ourselves and move forward. And for black people, the same thing, like we're all going to come together and say, you know what, this is what we need to do to take care of ourselves. And maybe, you know what, we're not going to look to those folks. We're going to look within ourselves to, to make the solutions that we need tailored for us as opposed to saying, hey, I need this person to do, no, we can do it. We can do and it. And it's a great opportunity for us to do yeah. so. So I think that'll be a, that's a positive, I think, from this unfortunate uh, pandemic. Absolutely. You landed on it. We can do it. That's why I called y'all, man. I love y'all, man. This is why, what Jamal just said, this is why I called this panel. Like I said, I was so mad when I started this panel, but I feel so relaxed now. I feel so calm like Casey Phillips Brown celebrating a birthday. I feel good now talking to y'all. And I'm encouraging everybody out there, make sure y'all listen to these folks on this call right here. Don't listen to that Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, Dr. Drew nonsense. It's like common sense. I know we don't always have sense in common, but it takes common sense. And these black professionals here have good common sense on these issues that are so vital to our community right now. Wow, are you guys listening to all this? This is why these type of programs are so very vital. And to drive the point home even further, let's check out Tyler Perry from an episode of Black AF. I feel like I really care what white people think. I care like a lot. I care what everybody thinks. To be honest with you, I feel like that's almost all I care about, it seems like. What other people think? It's really sad. It's a sad existence. It's It's not a great life. But it seems like every time I do a project, the first thing I do after the project comes out is go to Rotten Tomatoes. Let me just tell you about the tomatoes. 
I don't fuck with them. You don't fuck with tomatoes? I don't give a damn about a rotten or a fresh. None of that means shit to me. I, that's, that's amazing. What about critics? I don't give a fuck. I guess that's amazing. Can I just tell you why? Please. Because, listen, man. I know that I'm telling stories that my folks want to see. I'm talking from our point of view. We're speaking a language. We're speaking a shorthand that we get that white people don't necessarily get. Nina Simone said this, and I never forgot it. She said, you will use up everything you've got trying to give everybody what they want. you got to focus, man. And you know what I do? I super serve my niche. We speak a language. We're talking. We know each other. We get it. I, I, there's a lot of times I see shit that win Oscars. I'd be like, what is this shit? I walked out halfway through it. I don't get it. And, and listen, I feel like they feel the same way about my work. They don't get it, which is all cool. My mother, born in Jim Crow South in Louisiana, right down the street from Mississippi where Emmett Till was murdered. She told me the value of being who I am, of my blackness. She said, don't you ever let anybody tell you who you are. You know who you are. You know where you come from. I watched her stories. I watched her struggles. And that's what I'm telling. I'm telling the stories that I come from. And that's why they're winning, because people are recognizing themselves in these stories. No matter how crass the people think they are, no matter what the critics are saying, oh, I don't get this shit. I don't understand what it is. I don't give a fuck, because I'm talking to us. That's why millions of people are watching my shows every week. That's why people keep showing up and sending the movies to number one. I'm talking to us, connecting with us. You know what I'm saying? Let me tell you what you're doing. I'm trying to get them to approve you. That's what I don't get. Why are niggas running around trying to get white folks to please tell me I'm special? Oh, give me your Oscar. Oh, let me know I'm all of these things that you want me to Fuck that. Tell your story. Live in your own life, in your own culture. Tell your own experience. Ain't nobody tell you how to be you. You hear what I'm saying? I do, man. So let it be known, y'all, once again and once for all, that we can speak out on these issues ourselves with authority, competence, and professionalism, with expert insight and analysis, we got this. And this isn't all that represents this mental health army. We are diverse. We are all over the country, all over the state, and they will return if we ever need them to. So let's cut the nonsense. Dr. Phil, Dr. Drew, Dr. Oz, we see you. Stop playing. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Roma, and I wanna thank you for joining us. And we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us, we shall return next week. I also wanna thank this gigantic group of people tonight. Let's see if I can remember them all. Dr. Chase Moore, Art and Arissa Harris, uh, Kyra Christian, Casey Phillips-Brown, Jamal Jones, Lori Peacock, Jeffrey Keller, Maria Alfaro, Gigi Da Silva Castro, Dr. Catherine Norris, Dr. Reggie Robinson. Well, I also want to thank our producer, Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care. <laughs>